Welcome in Hockey Mountain High, your go-to Avalanche podcast presented by Superbook Sports and Total Beverage in Thornton and Westminster. JJ Derez here, Arif Dean. Arif Dean's on All-Star break, of course. Avalanche have some time off this week, as well as most of the NHL. Um, Arif will be here any second. I, I'm trying to start the podcast on time. So, hey, here we go. Let's let's start the podcast on time. Um an interesting week in the NHL, of course, right? I mean, just everybody on break, some players going on vacation, some players sticking around town, um, getting their work in, maybe trying to come back from injuries, other players hitting the All-Star game. So uh, interesting dynamic how each player kind of spends their All-Star break. I know we saw Bo and Byram, a couple other guys skating um, at uh, Family Sports this week. So that's good to see and good to see that they're focusing in, right? They're not taking this time to take a break. They're not taking this time to uh, go on a vacation themselves. They're getting ready to get back into the lineup and get back into the regular season. So that's exciting stuff. Then you see Alexander Georgiev. He's uh, somewhere on the beach, I think in Mexico. Um, He's a guy that deserves a vacation, right? I mean, we saw for a stretch there how tired he was getting. Um, he, He wouldn't admit it, but it was kind of all of our own speculation, all of our own theories that you know his game was slipping a little bit so good to see him catching some r and r and uh yeah it's gonna be fun seeing miko nathan mckinnon kale mccarr in the all-star game all-star games are fun right because they're kind of a vacation in themselves i mean you look at the last two all-star games las vegas last year south florida this year i think the nhl is really trying to do a better job for the players to send them on you know, nicer, nicer trips, go to nicer cities, maybe a little bit more tropical, a little bit more vacation like settings. Um, and I, yeah, I think you're, you're noticing that because we all remember Alex Ovechkin always trying to bail on the all-star game. He's making it this year, or as far as we know, no updates yet. Um, but we remember him trying to get out of it. We remember him trying to uh, suddenly be injured a couple days before the all-star game. Because players just simply didn't want to go. But why not make it somewhere where they are going to want to go? Like Las Vegas. Everybody has fun in Las Vegas. South Florida, what a beautiful place. We're seeing a lot of beaches. They're really pumping those beaches on us. So, so um, yeah, all-star break. Arif and I will get into that. He should be joining here in about a minute and a half. Um, but, yeah, we're going to talk Bo Horvat. Obviously, who's left on the uh, the trade list Who's, who's still available, who's still going to be out there for the Avalanche to inquire about. Um, of course, we're going to look a little bit at these ratings, right? The, the news came out that ratings dropped, so there's a lot of opinions going around out there. Um, Arif and I will get into that. And um, what else we got for you? Of course, we're going to look at more All-Star Game. Just going to be a quick episode, of course, if, if uh, Arif cares to join us. So, um, just excited. You know, we're coming off of our biggest episode that we've ever had here at Hockey Mountain High. Um, so awesome stuff from our listeners. And if you're a new listener, if this is maybe your second episode, welcome in. Um, typically, Arif is here. But, um, you know, it's an early morning. I've got work to do. I don't have time to be sitting around waiting all day uh, to, to start a podcast. So I figured I'd start on my own, have some fun, try to talk to you guys for a couple minutes. Uh, just just me and you, you know, get a couple of my thoughts out of my head that aren't necessarily on our conversation list for today. Um, funny to, to, you know, I go back to how most of the league was 
on break yesterday and, and even the day before. But you still see a couple games trickling in here and there and, and some good games at that, right? I think I, I really enjoyed catching that Toronto versus Boston matchup. Of course, I think those are two teams. I think we all think those are two teams slated to go pretty far in the NHL playoffs. And it was a really exciting game. Lots of physical stuff. I mean, it was a, it was a close battle all the way till the end. And uh, yeah, Boston coming out to Victor ended up winning by three goals. But I mean, they were only up three two there late in the third. So uh, a, a good matchup there. I'm enjoying watching Carolina, right? Carolina is not a team that I get to look too much at throughout the regular season. Carolina is often a team that uh, I miss, whether it's because of early game starts or it's because just because of, uh, you know, not exactly intriguing matchups being so far away from the central division so far far away from us geographically Um, but obviously a good team they're they're a fun team to watch and just an interesting team right every year they go into it as contenders every year they're they're kind of on the fence as to whether or not they are legitimate or not and I feel like they're a fun team to watch because you always think that they're going to make a splash and they somehow end up disappointing some way somehow but they're always looking for free agents they're always looking for trades so um, we'll see what they do as far as uh, the trade deadline as well and as as that starts to approach. And uh, yeah, a couple other things, a couple other games from from the past week have been pretty solid as well. I, I mean, it, it was tough to see Tage Thompson go down last night. Carolina, you know, back to the Carolina Hurricanes. They played the, the Buffalo Sabres 5-1. Hey, and here we got Eric Dean joining us. Arif Dean, how you doing today, this beautiful Monday morning? I was just talking about how good of a matchup the Bruins and Maple Leafs were last night, as well as how crazy, um, not crazy, but the Tage Thompson dropping out of the All-Star game literally on the last day of the regular season here before the break. J.J. Jerez did the radio thing and covered five minutes of radio slash podcast time. I didn't love it. Uh, but I felt like it was something I wanted to challenge myself to do. Um, it's all-star break, so why not get a little experimental, a little weird with it? Love it. I'm sure the uh, listeners are tired of hearing my voice for five minutes, but I feel <laughs> Don't like Don't you okay. worry. I talk a lot, and I like <laughs> to talk over you. So It's funny you say that because in my uh, head, I'm like, this must be how Era feels when he goes on those five-minute rants. And um, you know, by the end of it, I was starting to run out of things to say, so I'm so happy you joined in. How are you doing, Arif? <laughs> I'm doing great. I'm doing a little bit better than Tage Thompson, probably just as good as Rasmus Dahlin. Uh, the All-Star game is weird, man. The whole people love it. People want to be there, but also they don't. And it matters, but it doesn't. Like It's taken a really weird turn since the early 2000s. Do you remember watching skills competitions in like 02, 03, 04, where they would have, like for example, the, the goalie save challenge, and it would be like Patrick Waugh versus Ed Belfour, and both of those competitive dudes are trying their damn hardest to win this thing, to win like a Toyota Camry or something. Like, Yeah, I was just commenting a little bit ago how it feels like lately a lot of the All-Star games have been in nicer places, maybe more vacationable places for that reason, right? It feels like Alex Ovechkin kind of ruined it. He, he came out with this energy of like, oh, I don't really want to try that hard i don't even want to be here to be honest with you and i feel like the rest of the nhl took that cool kid mentality from him and was like you know what this isn't a place where we try hard this is just a place where we come and chill and have fun who's the other guy alongside alex ovechkin that's basically carried this league for 18 years sid sid the kid 
Here's the difference between Sidney Crosby and Alex Ovechkin. Alex at least shows up. <laughs> Sid's <laughs> always got an excuse for why he's not attending the All-Star game. And now he's starting to come around like, all right, I'm 30-something. My days are numbered. But Plus, they're in nice places. Why not go yeah. to South Florida? Well, are you hearing about the rumors that next year is in Toronto? Good luck. <laughs> like, it's going to be cold. And that's why I'm like, now it makes a little bit of sense why Colorado hasn't had an All-Star game in 22 years. I mean, yes, but also no, because I know, you know, where there's a little bit of a recency bias that January 2023 has been the coldest month the state has had in God knows how long. Uh, to me, this is a regular winter, so I hate the fact that it reminds me of the regular winters I grew up with. But I mean, this is also the same state that on February 16 or whatever the date was, 2016, the Avalanche played the Red Wings in an outdoor game where they had to put cotton on the floor because they needed fake snow and 75-degree weather. Like, <laughs> you could get that during an All-Star weekend. It's not guaranteed snow. So what you're saying is you'd love to see an All-Star game and an outdoor game hybrid. Yeah, <laughs> with the cotton snow and all. Uh, Patrick <laughs> Waugh there trying his damn hardest, whether it's for an alumni game or a skills competition. But hey, I mean, we I don't, I don't know how many of our listeners follow Ryan Bolding, who used to work for the Avalanche, but... He's tweeted it many times, and I and I saw it again this past couple of weeks when somebody was asking why the Avalanche haven't gotten an All Star game. There's a lot of work that falls on the team to host one of these things, and the amount of staffing, the amount of things like the NHL obviously helps you. It's an NHL led event, but it's similar to the Stanley Cup Final. It's an NHL led event where you got to pull the strings and you got to get the work done. We know what the Avalanche staff there not not just the PR team, but all their teams had to do to get. Ball Arena turned around into a building that can host a Stanley Cup final. If you remember where they created this makeshift <laughs> media room. Uh, Emphasis not, on makeshift. Yeah, like it was it's it's a garage storage at the entrance where the visitor team's bus uh, is, is able to drive right into the rink. And it's the same entrance where media goes in. They have this massive storage that they completely emptied out they put black curtains all around it similar to <laughs> the arizona coyotes locker rooms at the mullet arena and they put some work tables out they set up like a table for a press conference they put up all these white lights to make it camera friendly and then up in the press box i mean you and i watched games one two and five of the stanley cup final from section what was it 338 <laughs> we sat in a chair with a table bolted on top of the row in front of us. Like they had to cut into the arena and into the seating to make up for the fact that they have a half-assed press box. Like there's a lot of work that goes into it. An all-star game would be the same thing. The NHL would kind of lead the way on, on what you're doing, but there's a lot of work that the team has to do that quite frankly, I don't think this team wants to do that right now. Yeah, I, you made me think of that storage space too, and that's that's where they keep a lot of the basketball hoops, the basketball court, the uh, the mammoth floor, and of course during the Stanley Cup playoffs or Stanley Cup final, it was easy to just get rid of that stuff because you didn't need it around the building. Well, now during an All Star game, you still need that stuff yeah. around the building. The Nuggets are still in full full force, and the Mammoth are going. Jared as well. Bednar's office has a desk, and to the right, he's just got basketball court floor just piled <laughs> up. Like, goddamn, this stuff's gonna fall on me. Like it's. It, it's a really hard thing to do, and this is a team that has also hosted now since 2016 two outdoor games, but also played at the one over in Lake Tahoe. They've been to Sweden once. They've been to Finland once. Uh, Elliot Friedman talked about how the Avalanche were really upset and talked to the NHL coming back from Finland about how this needs to be a before-the-season thing. You cannot have it smack dab in the middle of a month like they did in November. 
um, because they feel like they have been struggling to adjust to the 10 hour time difference since they got back or whatever it was, eight hours, I think. Um, so they've done a lot of league events. I think an all-star game is the last thing on their mind, especially when you got guys like Nathan McKinnon sitting at the top, like, wait, so if we host an all-star game, I'm like, I could have four goals and five assists in the first 41 games of the season. And they're still going to like, be like, Hey, yeah, Nathan McKinnon, local guy. He's got to be there. Like it's, it's the least of their worries. Right on, right on. Well, uh, yeah, let's get in the conversation we came here to have. Thanks for hopping in and just picking up seamlessly where I was uh, leaving off. So I appreciate that, Arif. But Bo Horvat officially off the table uh, to the New York Islanders, which I'm not sure very many people saw coming. I definitely had uh, the New Jersey Devils. Uh, you know, I had my money on them. But I don't think any of us, you know, at, at first you you and I were both like, you know, Bo, Bo Horvat, definite possibility. But as the season progressed, it definitely seemed like more teams were interested and we kind of were like, ah, you know, I don't see it happening. He's probably going to go somewhere else. So that brings us to the easy conversation of who's left. Of course, he's the, the bell of the ball, this trade deadline, and now the first domino to fall. So, um, yeah, I look around at, at, at possible trade bait that's out there and I, I don't see too many centers, which we know the avalanche are kind of looking at that position of need. So your thoughts on who's still available and uh, what the avalanche should or might do. Well, luckily for you, even though I jumped onto the podcast six minutes late, I am prepared with names and we're going to discuss these names one by one, see who's available, see not just necessarily who's available and who's, who's been talked about, but who was a possibility that the avalanche Sneaky. could acquire that makes sense. So I wouldn't expect I'd, anything less from you than to be prepared, Arif. <laughs> this is this is what I do. I'm late, but I'm always late, but <laughs> prepared, but late. I don't know. With a smile <laughs> on, too. With, it's it's what I do. Um, all right. So the way that I look at it, the Avalanche have three ways to go about the trade deadline. They can pick up number one, the big name rental. So Bo Horvat off the table. Who are the other two big names? Um I guess uh, it depends on your opinion. Are you going Jonathan Taze, Patrick Kane? Are you throwing Timo no, 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 Meyer centers, in there? Centers, centers, Jonathan oh, okay. Taze and Ryan O'Reilly. Bingo. So those are your top two. Those are your big rental centers. There's also the next level rental center, which to me is a name like, let's say, Sean Monahan. Not as big a name, but still a respectable name. And then there's number three trying to get somebody with a little bit of term, maybe some salary uh, retained by the team that you're acquiring them from. So that, you know, similar to what they did last year with Arturi Lekin, and he didn't necessarily have term, but he was an RFA and someone that had that was under team control or like what Tampa Bay has been doing for the last three or four friggin' years or whatever it is, two or three years where they trade for someone like Brandon Hagel. They give up a lot, but they got Brandon Hagel at 1.8 million for the next two years. And he's on pace for more than 30 goals and 60 points. Or they trade for Barclay, Goudreau, Blake Coleman, so on and so forth. Like guys that make sense in the long-term picture as much as they – and by long-term, I mean one or two or three or several years, let's say, as much as they do in the now. So I've prepared and I've kept it to a very minimal amount of names because I don't want us to go for an hour today. We have plenty of trade deadline coverage, which, by the way, the deadline is March 3rd. Today's February 2nd. It's only 29 days away. It's a short month here. So we're – we got basically four weeks from tomorrow, Friday. That will be the day of the trade deadline. So looking at the top, I'm going to start with those two big names, Ryan O'Reilly and Jonathan Tapes. So starting with Ryan O'Reilly, 
this one is an interesting one because this is a guy who you know can do it. You know can be a top-line center for a cup-winning team because he's done it before. You know he could be a Smythe Trophy winner because, again, he's done it before. But he's also a guy not having that good of a season, and he's currently out with a broken foot, so he would have to recover from that. Uh, for starters, 10 goals, 6 assists, 16 points in 37 games. So, again, not that good of a start. Uh, he hasn't played since New Year's Eve. He's a minus 28, which I know it's a stat that we don't really care too much about. But I think it's it's eyebrow raising for sure. Yes, 100%. And that's what I was going to say. But for Ryan O'Reilly, that is right. not a good look. Exactly. This is, this is a guy who prides himself in a defensive game. But then again, it's also, you know, you're playing on a team. The biggest concern for me with, with plus minus is if you're minus 28 on a team where everybody else is minus five or better. That's where it becomes a concern because now no matter who you're playing with, you're bringing the line down. Well, that's not necessarily the case here. Ryan O'Reilly's a minus 28. The center he usually pray, plays with, Braden Shen, is a minus 27. Tori Krug's a minus 26. That's their top defenseman. Jordan Cairo's a minus 25. Colton Pareko's a minus 21. Tarasenko, minus 18. You get the picture here. When the St. Louis Blues have their top guys out on the ice against the other team's top guys, they're losing the five-on-five -five battle. So obviously Ryan O'Reilly is part of that, but it's not like he is the sole issue. If you take Ryan O'Reilly, put him on a line with, even with Landeskog still hurt, with Val Nachushkin and, I don't know, Evan Rodriguez or Miko Rantanen, uh, he's not going to be a minus 28 in 37 games with the Avalanche. It's just not going to happen. Ryan O'Reilly in this form in 2023, coming off three or four uh, seasons of good hockey, isn't suddenly going to fall off the map where he's going to drag down guys like Nachushkin and Rantanen. Hell, if Ryan O'Reilly has lost a step, Nachushkin and Ranton elevate him rather than the alternative. So he is an interesting case. My favorite stat to look at with O'Reilly is the fact that he's got 16 points in 37 games, which is one more point than Matt Nieto in obviously nine fewer games when he was acquired. But the big thing with O'Reilly is there was an interview, and I just said that like four times with O'Reilly. <laughs> there was an interview with Jeremy Rutherford, the, the writer that covers the blues for the athletic. He did a one-on-one -on -one with O'Reilly. And that was the article that came out about two weeks ago. Where Ryan said he wants to resign. He wants to stay. Obviously we know he loves it in St. Louis, but the reality is they they might have to move him if this continues. How but, much of that do you think is him just playing the obvious, you know, not pissing off my locker room? Uh, and how much of that do you actually think he loves St. Louis? Because I've never been to St. Louis, but from what I see as an outsider, it, it doesn't strike me as a place that people are like, oh, my goodness, I love it here. This is such a, 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 a amazing place. I'm sure if we ask Peter Ball, he'll say otherwise. But um, I, I, I don't know how much I actually believe in him saying I want to stay here. Well, how much do you believe Blake Wheeler over the last five years that he's loved Winnipeg? <laughs> like it's people, people fall in love with certain areas. It's hard to explain. It's a thing that happens. The biggest thing here, like, look, where does Eric Carlson play? San Jose. Okay. How great of a city is that to live in, in a hockey season? Uh, I, I would say it's, it's all right. I'm sure yeah, living on the water, living on the beach, coming from Ottawa where it's cold 10 and a half months out of the year, uh, blah, blah, blah. But the reality is that team sucks. He's got a lot of term left on his deal. He wants to win another cup. He's got the support of his family to get up and go wherever he's got to go to rejuvenate what's left of his career, which he's been doing this year. So the reason why I believe Ryan O'Reilly to go back to that case is whether they are, or they are not, the St. Louis Blues are not this team that's downward spiral, sucks, 
70 points, 70 points, 70 points. Like they're not the San Jose Sharks. They're a team that last year you could argue gave the Avalanche the biggest, the, the toughest battle in the playoffs. They're a team that had what 112 points, beat the Minnesota Wild, which were a good team in the first round. Um, they're a team that won the Stanley Cup four years ago, uh, obviously has made the playoffs each of these last few years. So to Ryan, it could just be like, hey, we're having a poor season. Obviously, Tarasenko's a pending UFA. So am I. There's a lot of shit going on. Our goalie is always throwing temper tantrums. We could fix this in the summer, and I love it here, and my wife loves it here, and our kids love it here, and we've built a family, blah, blah, blah. So I do believe he loves it there. But and he's also- not- He's always been one to be honest too, right? Yeah, I mean, we, exactly. we remember what happened in Buffalo. We yep. even remember what happened here in Colorado. Yeah, exactly. But I also know that he's the kind of guy that whether he gets traded to Colorado, I don't know, Boston, pick out other teams, like there, wherever he goes, he's going to fit in. He's going to mesh his, him and his family are going to kind of figure it out. And he's going to be the Ryan O'Reilly that you know and love. And, and he's going to be a good player. So the interesting thing with him and, with the fact that he makes seven and a half million, I believe it is, um, which is a number that obviously the blues would probably retain some salary to make it all work is I see a lot of teams looking at O'Reilly looking at the fact that he's what four months younger than Nazem Kadri. So like it's, it's not by any means, you know, a 37, 38 year old at the end of his career. It's a guy that's, you know, smack dab in the middle of, you know, maybe the, maybe the tail end of his prime, but could still do it. People are looking at Ryan O'Reilly and saying, hey, you know what? This is a guy that has that pedigree. He's a two-way center. He's a defend. He's not a defending, but he's a former Consmith Trophy winner. So I feel like there will be a lot of guys coming out to try to acquire Ryan O'Reilly. I don't know what the Avalanche would have to pay to get him, but I do know it would likely involve their first-round pick this year. And... If you're the Avs, do you want to use the first round pick on a rental or would you rather use it on someone with term? So that's kind of the way that I look at it with Ryan O'Reilly. Jonathan Taves, there's one thing that makes me want Ryan O'Reilly on this team more than Jonathan Taves, and it's the salary cap. With Taves, and this is let's let's compare it to Horvat, for example. Obviously, Horvat's off the board for now. <laughs> he could get for traded. now. For now, he, he could get traded again if uh, the Islanders fall off. I don't know if you remember, like almost a decade ago, the Islanders traded for Thomas Vanek, like in November from and Buffalo then him. and then flipped him to Montreal at the deadline because they fell out. He went he went in, played with John Tavares, pumped his numbers, and then they flipped him again. They're like, all right, we tried. So obviously different GM, but there is a history of this happening. In the what NFL. if this is Lou Lamarillo's attempt at getting Devon Taves back? <laughs> yeah. He's like, I messed up that trade so bad. Please, please take Bo Horvat. Yeah, the Avalanche would never. <laughs> um, you know what the funny thing is? It all comes, it all comes full circle. The do you remember the Luongo Schneider drama in Vancouver 10 years ago? Yeah. Where every everybody yeah. wanted Luongo to get traded, and Corey Schneider's this new goalie burst out on the scene. Having then, a good a good couple years. Yep. And then Luongo came out and said the famous words, my contract sucks. That's why I didn't get traded at the deadline. It's because my contract sucks. The 2013 deadline, not 14. Because in 14, he actually did get traded for Jacob Markstrom and more from Florida. So he says that at the 2013 deadline, we go into the draft. The New Jersey Devils are hosting the NHL draft 2013. They have the ninth overall pick. Gary Bettman comes onto the stage. He gets booed. (laughs) He goes, we have a trade to announce. And then he goes, and you're going to want to hear this. 
the New Jersey Devils trade the number nine overall pick to the Vancouver Canucks for Corey Schneider. So there's a swerve. It's not Luongo, it's Schneider. Schneider goes to the Devils for the ninth overall pick to Vancouver. Do you know who Vancouver took with that ninth overall pick? I'm going to guess Horvat. Bingo. So the Vancouver Canucks got Bo Horvat for Corey Schneider. Who is the New Jersey Devils GM that traded that ninth overall pick? Lou Lamarillo. Damn. It's the little shit like that that just always fascinates me and is why people call me a hockey nerd. But, like, I love that kind of stuff. I love looking at, you know, so-and-so is on this team, so he's going to go trade for his guy. Same reason why it's always fascinating to me that the Islanders signed Zach Parisi when he was bought out because it's like, yeah, Lou knows this guy. He went to the Stanley Cup final with him in New Jersey. He tried to sign him. You know, Brian Burke being the GM or president of hockey ops for the Pittsburgh Penguins. Uh, 15 years after the Anaheim Ducks lost when he was their GM, the number one overall pick to Pittsburgh in that lottery and ended up with Bobby Ryan and, and Burke's been salty about it for a decade and a half. You get the point. Moral of the story is let's compare Horvat to Taves. Go back on there because, you know, I like to take it off the off the boards a little bit. Horvat, five and a half million. Taves, ten and a half million. If you trade for Taves from Chicago and they eat half the salary, that's going to get him down to 5.25, right around what you would get from a Horvat without any salary retained. So in order for the Avalanche to get Taves, you're going to need to include a third team. You're going to need to get it cut twice to get it down to like 2.7-ish so that it makes more sense to acquire him. But that just means more assets out the door. Jonathan Taves might not be worth more than like a third round pick right now. Problem is the Avalanche don't have a lot of mid-round picks. I'm actually going to pull up their cap friendly page because I can't remember exactly what it is. But like, for example, for Georgiev, I think it was a third and two fifths or two thirds and a fifth. They, you know, they've traded a lot of draft picks. So this year they have their first and then five, six and seven. They don't have two, three and four next year. They have their first and then four, six and seven. So next year they don't have two, three and five. It's not until 2025 where they have all of their picks which is fine because we saw Florida last year trading draft picks from 2025. So maybe a third rounder two years down the road gets you a center. Like that's fine. Or a second rounder, but there's also that third team you got to trade for. So it just becomes a headache. I still think Jonathan Taves might make the most sense because of what it'll cost, but it is just going to be a pain in the ass that you have to include a third team like Arizona or whoever can eat some cap Detroit, someone that can eat some cap for the next three months. Um, and that's going to make it a little bit tougher, but still not by any means out of the equation. So those are the two big UFA rentals that are left. And for both of those, you can make an argument why they might resign. Ryan O'Reilly might say, you know what? I'm in a good situation here back in Denver again. Um, let's give it a three-year deal. I don't know for something that's reasonable or Jonathan Taves might just say, Hey, one year, two and a half million. Let's run it back if we win. Or if we don't, let's, let's do it for two and a half. Uh, yeah, so those are the two big fish, I guess, left in your eyes. Um, I know you touched on what the Avalanche might have to give up, but I want to look at that a little bit deeper because last year I was really amazed at the trade line, trade deadline acquisition that Joe Sackick put together, all four of those guys, and the only roster player he really gave up was Tyson Jost. Um, so that being said, what roster player do you see being expendable in the Avalanche's eyes to make a move like this? Obviously, you're throwing in picks, like you said, probably even some prospects, but I think you're going to have to make at least somewhat of a resemblance of a hockey trade there and give up somebody who can slot in right away. The only name is the obvious name is the one that comes to everybody's mind. And I'm not piling on 
but it just makes sense yeah. is Sam Gerard. And the reason why I say that is because you can see the Avalanche going out and <clears throat> I mean look, last year they made four trades. They got Nico Sturm, Josh Manson, Andrew Cogliano, and Arturi Lakinen. The only person they gave up, obviously, was Tyson Jost, like you just said. From their from their roster, like like don't don't discount how good a prospect Hellison and Barron both were, or both are still. Um, but the biggest thing with Sam Gerard is like you can see a scenario where Sam Gerard is the five million dollar player that goes out for, you know, a center, maybe a depth defenseman, something where in a different deal you get a different defenseman making two and a half, three. And I don't have any off the top of my head because I haven't gone that deep into my research. But like you can see them cutting the five million Gerard to like a three million whoever and using that extra two million toward a centerman, for example, and for next season as well, because they do need money for next season as well. So Sam Gerard's the easy one. Uh the thing is with Sam Gerard, what makes this difficult is you're not trading a defenseman locked up for three, four, whatever, however many years at a reasonable $5 million number, a top four guy or a trade deadline pickup in Ryan O'Reilly, who's having a little bit of a tough season or Jonathan Taves, who is, you know, a resurgent year compared to last year, but not by any means the guy from five years ago. So it's like maybe for Bo Horvat and maybe if like you can get a contract for someone who's in their prime. But I just can't see him doing that. So then if you're Chris McFarland and Joe Sackett, you got to do a little bit of you got to have some creativity. Gerard's going somewhere. You're getting picks back. You're using those picks to pick up a center. You're also using those picks to bring in some more depth D like there's a lot of things that have to go along. And it's also the biggest question of all of this is, are you confident Bowen Byram's healthy? And if his injury does, in fact, have nothing to do with the concussions, then yes, you probably are confident because broken bones heal. Concussions are the ones that are always recurring. If you're confident Bowen Byram's healthy and you're confident Josh Manson's healthy and that's your top four with Taves and McCarr, then you feel a little better telling Eric Johnson, hey, you're going to play with someone like last year, like Jack Johnson, after Gerard broke his sternum, as compared to someone like Sam Gerard. But you also got to toe that line carefully because you're one injury away from Eric Johnson or whoever you replace Gerard with or Brad Hunt or someone entering your top four, and you just don't want that to happen. My last point when it comes to trade deadline, we could get to more if you have anything else on your mind, and you know we'll get to more in later podcasts, but you and I have this conversation in the press box often, and that's the question of centers versus just plus best player available, right? Is, do you think there's any chance that they go off the board, they don't get a center, and they just go with a, a, maybe a right winger, maybe a left winger. Obviously, there, there's no room for defensemen on this team. But just another goal scorer, a guy who knows how to bury the puck, despite the fact he's not necessarily a natural center. Yeah, I would say for the defense thing, there's no room for a top defenseman. You're going to go out and get depth guys like what you lost in Murray and Jack Johnson. Um, but so going back to what you just said, so look, you're the one that played hockey, not me. I'm not the hockey player. Uh, I'm not the one that's laced up the skates and knows the importance of the center position compared to playing on the wing and kind of to tiptoe off of what you said, we've had debates where you said, you know, the, 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 the center position and, and kind of fixating on that is not as important. If you have Miko Rantanen at center playing with, let's say Landis Gog and Nichushkin, for example, as like a second line, because you acquired a guy like Patrick Kane to play on the top line with like McKinnon and Lekkinen, for example, uh, just throwing out random names. Um, 
Ranton and Landeskog Nachushkin are all good two-way forwards. Whoever enters the zone first is the F1. He's going to act as the center, blah, blah, blah. So we've had that debate. The reason why, and you'll notice that very same day, I went out of my way to ask questions because I want to know more about this stuff. I want to see if I, I have a leg to stand on with my thoughts. And let's go back to Alex Duhuk. The quote from Newhook, the quote from Jared Bednar. A month ago, to catch everybody up, Jared Bednar said, I'm liking Newhook more on the wing. It gives him less responsibility. He seems to be playing better. And then Newhook goes on a little bit of a run here. He's got five goals in his last eight games. And I've got two quotes. I've got Alex Newhook, who said this recent on in terms of the recent stretch of play he's been on, he said, and this is after the Blues game last Saturday, he said, it's a bit of a confidence for sure. It's been nice getting back in the middle. I think I'm finding a bit of a stride there in the middle, being able to generate a lot of speed. And I didn't, that's the, that's the partial quote, the full quote. And by the way, I didn't even ask him about playing center. I just said like, how does it feel to be playing hot again? And he brought up the center thing right away. <laughs> so like that should tell you all you need to know about a player wanting to play center. And there was a mm -hmm. part of the quote in there where he even said like, you know, I've played center my entire career. I feel so much more comfortable there. And then Jared went on to say, uh, Newhook was heavy down low. He was getting into people. He was physical. He was coming up with pucks. He's still finding a way to get up the ice on the forecheck and disrupt things and give us time in the offensive zone. He's playing a real nice 200-foot game right now in the middle of the ice, which is good to see. So they both fixated, despite not being asked about center or versus wing, they both fixated when they're talking about Alex Newhook playing well and him being well at center and him feeling more comfortable there. So like, it might not matter when you look at it from the outside, but it might matter to these players. So that's why if the avalanche go out and get a winger and say, you know what? Evan Rodriguez is good, doing good enough to be our second line center. And if he doesn't play well, we got JT. And if he doesn't play well, Alex Newhook's hot right now. We can play him at center and kind of roll through these three guys. I think if they do that and they acquire a winger instead, it's going to be simply because the market for a center just wasn't there for them. They didn't have what it takes to be the best bidder, the highest bidder. Or they were being asked for too much. Like maybe St. Louis is saying, hey, we're not giving you O'Reilly unless you give us Alex Newhook. Non-starter. Let's move on to Jonathan Taze. Hey, we're not giving you uh, Jonathan Taze unless you give us Alex Newhook. Non-starter. Then, yeah, maybe you end up ending up with a wing. So I think it is a slight chance. But I do think that their focus will be on that center first. Maybe plan D, E, or F, right? Not A, B, or C. Bingo, um, yeah. Yeah, and, and, you know, I look at the Avs roster and, you know, including Landeskog, I count about eight guys that can play center. Um, of course, a lot of them are in the depth role, so that's kind of a something you need to look at, right? You got a lot of Ben Myers, Logan O'Connor, Dar Darren Helm, Alex Newhook. Um, so those guys can play the role. So I, don't, I, I think you have a lot of centers if you need to go the uh, other direction, like you're saying. If, it, if it's a place where the uh, other teams are making you – not go with a center or, or you're just getting outbid or teams just don't want to do business with the avalanche anymore, then I, I wouldn't be opposed to bringing in a winger as long as he's a goal scoring winger. I think the goal scoring is pivotal right now, right? You bring up a name like Patrick King. That's my favorite name on the list just because we know how he can bury the puck. So um, yeah, I, I'm interested to see which route they take. And, and I, I think there's, you got to leave the door open for, for pretty much anybody that can make this roster better right now. Yeah, and, and ultimately, you know that McFarlane and Sackick are thinking that too. They've got their A, B, C, D, and E, and F list of players that they're going to go after, and they're going to they're gonna see what's out there. Uh, the next name I want to mention, and I don't want to spend as much time on him because otherwise we'll be here for two hours, and we still have a month of content to uh, put out there until the trade deadline, 
is uh, Sean Monahan. I love Montreal that name. Canadians. Yeah. So Sean Monaghan, his underlying numbers are all excellent. He's he's got a he's a great four checker. He's great at the face-off circle, which by the way, right now Jonathan Taves is number one in the NHL in face-off percentage. Like he's he's far and away the best centerman at winning draws, and you know how much this team needs it. And Ryan O'Reilly, I believe, is in the top five. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'll I'll fact check the O'Reilly thing, but I know Taves is number one. So Sean Monaghan is also a guy that can win you a draw. He his underlying number numbers are all excellent as well in terms of uh, being a strong four checker and things like that. So, you know, that matters as well. Um, he's also having a little bit of a rejuvenated season, 17 points in 25 games. Yes. You'll notice 25 games because he has had some injury issues, which is a big question mark. He hasn't played since December 5th. Um, but the thing with Sean Monahan is he could be had for a lot cheaper. He's the depth guy that you can kind of have a plan B move. You know, like last year you wanted Claude Giroux. You didn't get him. Well, our trade like will do the trick. And if you didn't get him, maybe you go out for Andrew Kopp. Like there was that next level player. That's what Sean Monaghan reminds me of. And, and you know, very often the team that acquires the big name isn't usually the team that ends up being the most successful. Obviously, I don't like to use those kind of things as, uh, you know, it's kind of like winning the President's Trophy. I don't like to say if you win the President's Trophy, you're automatically tainted and going to lose in the playoffs because you know the difference between the abs winning the president's trophy and losing it last year was like a loss in arizona in december that they should have won that's the difference like if if they won that game and they have more points than florida i don't think they're suddenly going to lose to nashville so that's yeah so that's basically to say like if the avalanche go out and get the big name it doesn't mean that they fucked up but that next level name if they don't get the big names that we just discussed is Sean Monahan, also from Montreal, where they got Arturi Lekkinen last year. So there's a little bit of a history of making trades there. The Canadians got Monahan and a first round draft pick from Calgary for future consideration. So they took on Monahan for the price or for the prize, I should say, of Calgary's first rounder because they went out and signed Kadri. So Calgary literally repra- replaced Monahan with Kadri the Avalanche could replace Kadri with Monaghan. Like, there's a lot of similarities there. He's that next-level player. I think he would be a good addition. Um, but also, the big thing you want is for him to come back from his injury, which I think is happening soon, and for him to play well, and for him to make sense for the Avalanche. Hey, if he comes to the Avalanche with an injury, he'll fit right in, right? I mean, they have- <laughs> That's the thing, yeah. He'll, he can skate in that red non-contact and join the other boys. Wait, it's me, it's Manson, it's Val, it's Byram. <laughs> Um, no, Monahan's interesting too because he's the same draft class as Nathan McKinnon. I always find it interesting when guys who are, you know, in the same top ten of of a particular draft end up on the same team, right? I think I think that happened with Nail Yakupov here and uh, Mikhail Gregorenko. Um, I think that's happened here. Um, other instances, I can't quite remember, but twenty twelve, twenty twelve, Nail Yakupov went one, Ryan Murray went two. Alex Galchenyuk went three. The Avalanche have had a taste of all three of those guys. And we've talked about the 2013 draft before. McKinnon went one. Nachushkin went 10. Burakovsky went 24, I want to say. JT Comfer went 32. The Avalanche feasted on that 2013 draft to win the cup last year. And then obviously Bo Horvat went nine right before Val went 10. Uh, so that would have been an, you know, an addition there. Um, I'm going to go back to nerdy era stats. Do you know, the you, parallels? you just did, you already did. No, 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 no. <laughs> it gets better. Do you know the parallels with Sean Monaghan? It gets nerdier. No, I don't. It gets nerdier. Do you remember when the Calgary flames gave Ryan O'Reilly an offer sheet? Yes. Okay. The avalanche were playing the flames in Denver. The flames gave Ryan O'Reilly two years, 10 million. It was an offer sheet a month into that shortened season. 
in 2013, the first of the two shortened seasons, um, or the second of the three, I should say. Uh, and the Avs trail Calgary 3-0 after the first period. First intermission, Greg Sherman, then GM of the Avalanche, has a press conference live on altitude at Ball Arena saying we are matching the Calgary offer sheet for Ryan O'Reilly, the team that they're playing in Denver that's beating them 3-0 after the first intermission. The Avalanche came back and won that game, I think, 5-4. So they stole Ryan O'Reilly right back from the Flames, and then they beat him in that game. That was the year that they were that they were second last in the NHL and drafted Nathan McKinnon. Now, here's where Sean Monaghan comes into play. If the Avalanche do not accept and do not match that offer sheet, they would have gotten a first rounder and a third rounder from the Calgary Flames as compensation for Ryan O'Reilly. The first rounder they would have got from the Calgary Flames is the Sean one the Flames Monahan. used to draft Sean Monahan. And here we are now. The Avalanche <laughs> are looking at Sean Monahan to replace Nazem Kadri after the Flames replaced Kadri with Monahan with Kadri. The Avalanche are deciding between Ryan O'Reilly and Sean Monahan. There's so many weird parallels with this deadline, and it's what makes sports fun for nerds like me. That is fun. Way to bring that nerdiness full circle, Arif. That, that's <laughs> that's good stuff. Um, let's take a quick second for our partners over at Superbook Sports, guys. The final drive for the championship is here, and there's no better place to wager on the football title tilt than Superbook Sports. Superbook features the best menu of prop bets in the business. Plus, check out their special odds boosts and promotions at Superbook.com. With over three decades of odds-making experience in Las Vegas, there's no place better to wager than Superbook Sports. Win some money as one lucky team wins the championship. Download the Superbook Sports app today. Visit Superbook.com for terms and conditions. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700. Always funny to me, Arif, how the NFL works. and We're not allowed to say the, the Super Bowl word there in any ad reads, right? Um, while we're at it, let's go over to Total Beverage, guys. Everybody knows Total Beverage in Westminster and Thornton, right? Sure, Total Beverage has an incredible selection of beer, wine, and spirits, but did you know they deliver? Did you know they have curbside pickup available? And did you know they do online wine education classes? If not, it's time to get to know Total Beverage again. Stop by on 104th and Thornton or on Sheridan in, in Westminster and see for yourself. And, of course, you can always find weekly deals, events, and drink recipes online at TotalBev.com. Total Beverage, everything you need, and more. Um, let's see. What else we got to get to here? Wait, Arif, where'd you go? Where'd you go? I lost you for a second. Oh, can you hear me? <laughs> oh, that wasn't an internet mess up. That was a Arif just disappeared on me. A um, couple things I wanted to get to before we wrap up the show today, Arif, and that's a good chance here to take a step back and look at standings, a.k.a. playoff matchups. Of course, if the playoffs started today, the Avalanche would be facing the Dallas Stars. I just wanted to get your thoughts on what you think of that matchup in particular and who do you think ultimately, let's just take a stab at it, who do the Avalanche play in the first round? <laughs> or do they even make it? That's another question to be had. It's hard to say because of the playoffs, by the way, there's still a couple more names I want to talk about, but let's do this first. Uh, it's hard to say because the they could be first, they could be eighth. Dallas can be first, Dallas can be eighth, Winnipeg can be first, Winnipeg can be like nothing is set in stone. They can play Edmonton or Calgary because they win the West and Edmonton or Calgary are a wild card, or they could win the West and Edmonton is first in the in the Pacific, so they don't face each other, or 
Edmonton wins the Pacific, Colorado's eighth, and they could still play Edmonton, but Edmonton's the top seed. Like there's just nothing is set in stone like it is in the East right now. So it's hard to say really. Like it's it's hard to make a prediction. I don't know, maybe Calgary. I'm gonna say Calgary because Colorado gets into first in the central and Calgary's <laughs> uh seventh or eighth. So maybe that. Okay. Okay. But I don't know, man. The playoffs are if the Avalanche get Nichushkin, Manson, and Byron Mole back, which looks like might be a thing here coming up after the break, their next game is in five days, then they could very well go on a bit of a run. I mean, they're already seven and one of their last eight. They could go better than that. Mm-hmm. And then you're looking at Landeskog in hopefully about a month. Maybe Darren Helm. You got some trade deadline stuff coming up. A uh, lot of reasons to believe that the Avalanche could end up top spot in the West again, or even in the Central for that matter. All right, cool. Just a fun little conversation I wanted to, wanted to look at. I, you know, it like you said, it's so hard to predict, but I could see them playing, you know, somewhere in the in the in or landing in the two three spot of the central, which could have them up against you know a Winnipeg or um, even a Minnesota. Who knows how that all shakes out? But um, yeah, you said you wanted other to to bring up a couple other trade deadline players. Yes. So O'Reilly and Taves, like I said earlier, those are the big names with. That are rentals. Monahan is that next level name who's a rental. There is, I'm only going to mention one of the three, but there is one name that sticks out to me. And I don't even know if he's available. Sticks out to me as a player with term. Now, these last three years, what's made Tampa Bay so good for so long, I should say, because we know why they're good. They have a lot of great players. But what's and made a great them, coach. And a great coach, yep. But what's made them so good for so long is their creativity. Everybody went crazy when they traded a first rounder and prospect Nolan foot, who was just drafted in the first round for Blake Coleman. Then they traded another first rounder for Barclay Goudreau. And everybody's like, this is crazy. But to them, they're like, well, we got Goudreau and Coleman for a combined $2.7 million for this year and for next year. And they won the cup both years. Then after winning the cup both years and both of those players walked deservedly. So because they earned big contracts with the Rangers and the flames, the lightning go out last year and trade two first rounders for Brandon Hagel that I mentioned earlier. They trade a big prospect in Matthew Joseph and a second rounder to the Sens for Nick Paul. Nick Paul signs a seven-year deal at only 3.15. Blake, uh, not Blake Coleman, uh, Brandon Hagel is still making 1.8. So now you got two top six capable forwards for a combined 4.9. You get the picture. These guys are able to bring in, you know, Let's go back to the Sam Gerrard thing. If they tr- if they were the team with Sam Gerrard, they would find a way to replace Sam Gerrard with a defenseman that can do what Gerrard does close to that level or maybe at the same level for a hell of a lot less than $5 million. So when you look at that, there's one name that sticks out to me, and he is the current captain of the Columbus Blue Jackets. He's a name the Avalanche have been interested in before because the Avalanche once had a big name named Matt Duchesne that was on the... Uh, that was on the trade block and Columbus was very interested. This guy was drafted in 2011, second round, 37th overall. I'm hyping him up like it's a huge name. It's not a huge name. It's Boone Jenner. Here is why Boone <laughs> Jenner makes sense. And you're probably thinking you're crazy. Why the hell would the Avalanche go for Boone Jenner? No, I'm just thinking how, yeah, that sounded like an NBA intro. <laughs> yeah, it's this whole big thing. And here At comes six Nathan two. Boone Jenner, <laughs> which he literally is 6'2", <laughs> 203 pounds. 
Boone Jenner's got 14 goals, 12 assists, 26 points in 40 games on obviously a team that's really not going anywhere this year. They're last in the NHL. Last year, 44 points in 59 games with 23 goals. He had a couple of tough seasons before that. He has had a 30-goal season before. That was the year right before the Matt Duchesne trade, which is why Columbus was trying to use him as a trade chip. Um, but he's a player that will give you 40 to 55 points a year. He's a two-way centerman. You know how much the Avalanche love that. Four-checker. Um, I'm really curious what his face-off numbers are. Uh, looks like he's 55.53% this year for the fourth no, actually for the one, two, three, four, five, sixth year in a row, he's 54% or better. So he's really good at the dot wins you faceoffs, and he's under contract right now at $3.75 million for this year and the next three years. And $3.75 million is a lot of money, but let's just say if. You get the Columbus Blue Jackets, which it would cost some money because this is a team that doesn't like to have dead cap space. And this is a team that had to clear up cap space by trading Bjorkstrand when they got Johnny Goudreau. But this is also a team that needs draft capital to use in the future for big names if they want to trade for other big names. Whatever, that's for them to figure out. Moral of the story is, let's say you get Columbus to eat 1.5. You now have Boone Jenner for this year plus the next three at 2.25 million, 2.25 million for three years. Plus this season's playoff run for a forward that gives you between 40 to 55 points, maybe even more because he's playing with the avalanche and with Landis Gog and the or something two way center fits a second line role pretty well when you are deep at the wing, like the avalanche are, but if, or when Alex Newhook takes off and you know, the likelihood is Rodriguez and JT Comfort are probably both going to walk this summer because the Avalanche can't afford them. So you got Boone Jenner at two, Alex Newhook at three. But if in six months, 12 months, 18 months, 24 months, Alex Newhook takes off, great. Alex Newhook's your 2C. Boone Jenner's your 3C at $2.25 million, still doing his Boone Jenner thing for $1.25 million less than what you're paying JT Comfort right now. I don't know if he's on the trade block. Uh, I'm going to give props to the person that originally mentioned this name to me when we were sitting at dinner the other day before the game was Alex Rajaniemi. I think it's pronounced Ryan Emmy, Ryan Emmy, but he goes by Raj Raj. because the J is silent when you say his full name. So Alex Ryan Emmy, uh, who does the, what does he do? The post game show on altitude radio. Yep. Yeah. So Raj basically brought up this name again. I don't know if Columbus even has him on the block. But that's the Brandon Hagel, uh, Blake Coleman type of move that the Avalanche could make. Hell, if Columbus agrees to eat half of that and you get him for $1.95 million for the next four years, well, three years in a playoff run, even better. You're probably going to pay a lot. Again, Tampa Bay paid two first-rounders for Brandon Hagel, so you'll, you know you'll have to start with your first-rounder this year. But it's a move worth considering because, again, he's not the big name. He's a level below but he also fits in well in that two, three slot. Cause like what happens if you trade for Bo Horvat and somehow Alex Newhook isn't involved in that trade and Bo Horvat comes here and is successful and you give him a long-term deal at the money you were going to give Kadri and you got a one, two and McKinnon and Horvat. And then in a year and a half from now, Alex Newhook's the hot piece on the block. And you're like, what do we do? Do we trade Newhook or Horvat? And then you're stuck in this weird situation. Boone Jenner just slots right down to three. 
Okay. Yeah, I, I don't I don't mind it. I mean, he's a solid, you know, somewhere around 40 points a season. So, um, you know, not going to contribute amazingly, but is going to contribute. And I know he has a pretty solid defensive game to his repertoire as well. So, um, yeah, I don't hate the name. I haven't thought of that one yet because obviously, like you said, it's not exactly one of the big names being floated out there. But, hey, uh, a center um, knows how to contribute, knows how to play the defensive style. Does he have familiarity with Jared Bednar? I'd assume there's something there. Ah. Uh... That's a good question. He, Jared Bednar won in 2016, the Calder trophy, the Calder cup, but no, it looks like Boone Jenner was already in the NHL 30 goals, 19 assists that year. He played all 82 games. He doesn't have familiarity with Jared Bednar other than maybe they cross pass at training camp. Cause you know, mm-hmm. the HL coaches usually help, sure. but he certainly, certainly sure as hell does have familiarity with Chris McFarland. Cool. Cool. Any other names you want to throw out there? No, we'll stick with those for today. There are some more names. We can discuss them over the next 28, 29 days. Um, but yeah, Boone Jenner, again, he's had a 30-goal season, 49 points in 65 games in, uh, was it 49? Yeah, sorry, 49 points in 82 games. He's had a season where he had last year 44 points in 59 games. He had a season where he had a half a point per game pace. He had another season of 18 goals, 16 assists, 34 points. Like, and this year right now he's at 26 and 40. So it's a 52 point pace on a bad team. So there is proof of, of concept there that Boone Jenner can get you 40 to 55 points. And if you give him a little bit of an avalanche bump, probably 45 to 60 points. Right on, right on. Um, we still have a couple conversations I wanted to get to today, so we might as well get to them. Don't want to save them for later because who knows if they're even interesting later. But that's uh, the conversation. I guess it came out yesterday that NHL ratings are down, Arif. And I know um, there's a lot of theories to this. There's a lot of people pointing fingers as to why they think the NHL ratings are down. But it's actually a pretty uh, reasonable and logical explanation. Um, But I want to get into that a little bit with you. So break down for the listeners and I think it was written in an athletic article this morning. So break down kind of the explanation that that athletic article gave us, and then you and I can kind of lightly, quickly get into it. Yeah, I'm not going to read it word for word because I don't like doing that for subscription-based websites. But basically, ESPN, so this is one of the things, and and Twitter has been hilarious. Everybody's just sitting there like, ah, the, the, the playoff format sucks, and you don't market your star players, and this and this and that. And they're acting like all of these issues are new issues and not things that have been longstanding. These issues are issues, and Gary Bettman is a problem with these issues, but these are not the reasons why, in the matter of six months, the TV ratings and TV viewership, I should say, dropped 22%. This is a long-standing, these are long-standing issues. The Athletic article, basically what it explained is, here's an example. Last year, ESPN was playing, I believe it was eight games per week, and now they're up to 17. The 17 games, they had to fit them somewhere. So those nine extra games, they are putting them on Sunday to challenge against NBC Sunday Night Football. They are putting them in time slots that you know are going to lose, but they got to fill the air. And in the article, it even explains that they they used to reserve this stuff for like NBA G League games, MLB Gold Glove ceremonies. You know, things that you know are not going to get you viewers because everybody else would rather watch football on NBC. And whatever you put there against football on NBC is going to fail. So the NH- the ESPN decided we'll use these slots for NHL games as well, get the NHL games up, give the NHL what they want, more, you know, more broadcasts. So they went from 8 to 17. 
And then the article at the bottom, they even have something similar about TNT that explains why TNT viewership's a little bit down as well, something similar to this. But basically the gist of it is the eight games that they were viewing last year, if you grade on the same rubric to the eight games this year and the comparisons, the viewership of those eight games that were scheduled last year to the eight games scheduled in the same time slots this year, viewership is up. What's bringing it down are those other eight games or nine games now that they've decided to put up against Sunday night football that you know are going to fail. So that's ultimately what's happening there. Uh, I'm 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 really entertained to read all the tweets of why people hate the NHL and comparing it to this, uh, the blackouts, the lack of streams, ESPN Plus is tough to navigate, all this crap. But again, these are not things that are going to lead to a 22% drop in one year. That is a massive number. The reason why that is is because ESPN more than doubled its broadcasts and are putting it in time slots prime to fail. But ultimately what they're doing is saying, the more broadcasts, the better. We don't care about the average viewers per broadcast. We just care about the number of viewers in general. So, you know, it's like a podcast. We can podcast once per week and get great numbers. We can podcast 15 times a week and do two episodes a day and oversaturate it. But we're going to have more numbers than that one. But the average is going to be way down. Uh, I think it's a valiant effort from the NHL, right? I mean, I look at years past and they're often Sundays with blank slates because the NHL just didn't want to touch uh, going against the NFL. And you look back at this year and I even noticed it throughout the year. I'm like, wow, that's a lot of games for a Sunday. Weird. Uh, and you you look back at the schedule and there's really, I think I counted two Sundays uh, this whole season where they didn't have any games. And those were both in early October. Um, so yeah, they're, they're giving it a shot. What I found weird though is... Uh, on in the same breath on Fridays there tends to be not very many games because they stack them all for Saturdays right there's like 14 15 games on a given Saturday it's weird to me that the Fridays have kind of fallen off at the same time that the Sundays have picked up so um yeah just interesting I mean I I, I like it I think they should challenge the NFL because there's people out there that don't want to watch the NFL and on those past years on a on a Sunday um, I'm trying to watch some hockey and I'm forced to watch NFL that I don't really care about. So, um, no, I, th- I think it's it's a good attempt. And and why not push at the king? Why not? Yeah. I mean, I don't, I, I wouldn't want to say valiant because the NHL is also the league that this year and they've done it in the past. They did it. I know for sure in 2012 and probably other years, too. They pushed the winter classic from January 1st to January 2nd because January 1st was a Sunday. And they're like, yeah, we don't want all our viewers to go to the NFL. So I don't want to say valiant, but I do I do get what you're saying. Like in the end, it's an 82-game season. There's going to be dips in the middle parts of it, the Januarys, the Februarys, the Decembers. Um, so may as well just throw them out there. And if we're going to get low viewership anyway, we may as well have a reason for that low viewership. And it's because people are watching football, for example. So um yeah, but like it, it does make sense. Am I by any means backing up Gary Bettman in the NHL? Absolutely not. The one and only time I've ever complimented Gary Bettman in my time as a adult, as an adult in general, not even just as a professional in this industry, is when he was quick to get the return to play games going in 2020. He was the first league to announce something. Other than that, he's done a terrible job, and I and I do know that the the hard salary cap makes no sense if you implement a luxury tax. There's a lot more that money that could be had in this league. The three point system, the fake parity, the fake 500. I hate it all. The uh, lack of marketing its superstars, the TV blackouts, the just always being 
the fourth best league and owning it. It's not just that you're the fourth best league. It's that you're owning that spot and you want to be in that spot. And that's ultimately what it feels like. So I'm not by any means backing up Gary Bettman, but a 22% dip in viewership in one season when the NHL is at a record breaking revenue generation generating league that it's been compared to years past for itself, not for other sports. There's a reason behind that. And this is why. All right. Yeah, no, I see it. I mean, there is a little bit of a little man's complex within the NHL and, and uh, you know, kind of even the fact that they're celebrating these small numbers is, is something you can kind of think about. Right. I mean, you look at the NBA and they're not afraid to challenge the NFL. You look at Christmas Day, we had both NFL and NBA going on, and I bet you both experienced great ratings. Um, so, yeah, I, I'm with you. And w- as far as Gary Bettman, I wonder how many of us can be bad at our job for three years and still hold on to that job. But hey, pretty wild it is and, what it and is. get inducted into the hockey hall of fame in the middle of that freaking <laughs> NHL man. This can't, this league can't get out of its own way. Last thing for you, Arif, last thing for you listeners. Is there any part of this all-star game that you are looking forward to watching? I genuinely do want to watch the skills competition. They have the splash shot contest and Nathan McKinnon and uh, Sidney Crosby are teaming up or sorry, Nathan McKinnon or sorry, Sidney Crosby and Alex Ovechkin are teaming. No, it is McKinnon and Crosby. Uh, then there is the breakaway. And by the way, McCarr and Ranton are also teaming up for that. Then there is the breakaway challenge, which I believe Crosby and Ovechkin are teaming up for. Um, so there's a lot of cool things that are going to happen uh, in the skills competition, which the last few years, it's been getting better. I know they kind of tried something different in Vegas last year and it did pretty well. Could have been better, but the NHL is trying things, and that's all you want to see. Um, but I genuinely am interested in watching the skills competition Friday, and I probably will. The skills competition has become more of a must-watch TV for, I think, all NHL fans than the actual All-Star game. It's a lot more entertaining. They're they're doing uh, you know more of the marketing that you see, players skating around without helmets, really getting to see their faces, get them mic'd up, see their personalities. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I'm looking forward to the uh, All-Star skills competition. I'll probably miss the All-Star game like I have in, in many years past. Yeah. yeah, I agree, and I probably will too. I mean, the All-Star game, the skills is always going to be – more dominant than it and it's like that in all sports the nfl doesn't even play the pro bowl anymore they just do all their skills competition stuff is that true i believe so i think they they don't do the pro bowl anymore they just do a bunch of skill stuff the nba the dunk competition makes more sense and and is more viewed than the game that was always ending like 224 to 212 because nobody yeah what a pathetic all-star game yeah (laughs) nba puts together yeah and and i think they finally switched it now to like teams and like first one to 10 or something like they're doing something similar to what the nhl is doing with the three periods the three games instead of three periods um but i mean the nhl was like that for so many years 14 to 12 15 to 11 like just crazy ass scores Mm -hmm. it's because Nobody plays defense. Everybody just wants to shoot and nobody tries and everybody's hungover. So I do appreciate them trying something differently. I still don't know if it's working, but the skills competition is is still going to be the ruler of the weekend. Yeah. And like you kind of pointed out early, how there used to be a lot of competition in that skills competition and less so much the uh, actual all-star game because, you know, the goalies don't get the, the defensive support in the actual all-star game. So they got to really, you know, prove their all-star title in the skills competition yeah and i mean even now it looks like the goalies they're they're not as involved like the breakaway challenge used to involve nhl goalies now they just put random dudes out there so that the 
NHL players can just score. They used to have, again, they used to have the save streak. They used to have the goalie competition where who can make the most saves or most saves in a row. And I think they still do that, but it's, again, it, and nothing beats the competitiveness of like Patrick Watt and Belfour and those guys back in the day. Like they wanted to win this stuff. Right on. Well, uh, good podcast today, Arif. Even for an all-star break, look at us. No games to break down, and we still go an hour long. Of course, that was with five, six minutes of me just talking to my computer. Um, I but... can't wait to hear that. Man. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to want to listen. I'm interested to listen to it, too, and see how I did. Um, but sorry for boring you if I bored you. And thank you for liking it if you liked it. But I'm sorry uh... I was late, <laughs> everybody. <laughs> it's okay. I mean, normally we wait till everybody's ready. I just you know, wanted to give it a shot. Why not? It's yeah. February 2nd and we're in all-star break or all right week. Plus it's a little bit of experimentation for what I'm hoping slash planning to do uh, moving forward for the rest of the year. So we'll see how it, it looks like. I just out. lost my job. No, no, no. I need you. I can't <laughs> talk to a computer by myself for an hour. Um, uh, so yeah, if you made it this far in the podcast, bless your pretty little heart, right? And let's make hockey for everyone. We got you. <laughs>